Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Amen. Thank you, Tyler. This is the word of God for the people of God. And Tyler, if you want, you can do the sermon. No? You thinking about it? Let me know later. We've got another service. I said the same thing to my daughter who read scripture this morning, and she told me after service, you must be dreaming. So there's that. Won't you pray with me as we prepare to hear God's word today? Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on your people. For God, I am not worthy to stand behind your sacred desk. But if you would send your spirit to this place, we will stand on your promise that when your word goes out, it shall never return void. So spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The text that Tyler read for us this morning is one that I grew up seeing every single Sunday at the tiny little United Methodist Church that I attended in Detroit, Michigan. It was written in looping script on the wall of the Sunday school classroom. Suffer not the little children to come unto me, for unto such of these is the kingdom of heaven. And around that scripture, Mike, were five or six photos from the Precious Moments Children's Bible. You remember Precious Moments, don't you? They were all the rage in the 80s and 90s. And people would give children Precious Moments Bibles as they illustrated darling depictions of biblical characters. Stories with children as they played the great heroes and heroines of scripture. And in each of these images, children's faces were were flushed with rosy cheeks. They were smiling. They were sweet. They were peaceful. They were obedient. And they were precious. But for those of us who have dared to have children of our own, grandchildren of our own, adopting children of our own, or just being in the same room as children, you know that the precious moment Bible industrial complex lied to us. Children are not always peaceful or docile or even precious. They can surprise us like they did this mother here who sought to gently rock her child to sleep, who in turn decided to see how far they could project their vomit. And notice that there is a doting father pictured in this image, but he looks on not with concern, but with uncontrollable laughter. Why? Because sometimes children are not all that precious. 
And when children are not defying gravity with their self-projections, we learn that they can be hard to withstand, not just mentally and spiritually, but even physically. As this father here attempts to sleep, perhaps after a grueling day of work or or a a tiring commute, he receives a unique wake-up call from one of his precious children, which reminds us that children can be hard on the head because sometimes they're not all that precious. And I know, I know what some of you doting grandparents and parents might be thinking. Those are those parents or those children, not my precious and angelic little ones. Well, that's what these parents thought when they took their children out on the town for dinner. They didn't know that children do not care about dress codes. Or they didn't know that children eat like eating their meals feet first sometimes. But I'm here to tell you they learned that day that sometimes children are not all that precious. And because children can sometimes not behave so preciously, maybe as we read our text from the Gospel of Matthew, we might give the disciples a a bit of a break. For when we hear this scripture preached, it's often interpreted as if the disciples were children-hating Christians, seeking to keep all the kids away from Jesus. But maybe, maybe it wasn't quite as cruel as that. You see, the disciples were journeying with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. They were looking to celebrate the Passover, a high holy day in the Jewish faith. And Jesus had already slowed them down. He, of course, had to stop to answer theological questions, share teachings on the kingdom of God, and heal people that were sick. And maybe after all of these detours, the disciples intended just to get where they were going. But that wasn't what Jesus intended. Jesus sees the disciples rebuking parents who are attempting to bring their children to him, and he, in turn, rebukes them. That word rebuke in the original Greek is epitomio. Can you say that? Epitomio. Just sprinkle that into casual conversation this week. You'll be the smartest person in the room. That this word epitomio is not like a timeout or a gentle redirecting of behavior. It's a severe censure of behavior that violates somebody's principles or their beliefs. It's the same language that Jesus used when he turned over the tables in the sanctuary for those who were oppressing others by selling religious favors in the temple. It's the same language that Jesus used when he told Satan to get behind him in the wilderness when he tried to tempt him. And so unpacking this word helps us to see that this is not some simple or gentle teaching. It is a warning. Jesus rebukes the disciples and says, do not hinder children from coming to me. And 2,000 years later, I believe that same rebuke can be heard echoing in our congregation today as we consider what's next for our church. Because from our scripture, we learn that wherever we are going, 
Whatever new mission or vision God may reveal to us, it must prioritize children. I'm going to say that again. Whatever God is calling us to, whatever new mission or vision God reveals, it must prioritize children. Because you see, it didn't matter that Jesus was on his way to the holiest city in the world to celebrate one of the high and holiest days in his faith. He stopped in his tracks to spend time with children. And that's a word for us today. As we vision towards the future, it's not just about what's next, but who's next. And for Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, children are who are next. So I want to share with you today three ways that we as a congregation are going to center and prioritize children like Jesus did. Not because children are our future, but because children are our present. The first thing that we're going to do is we are going to see. Somebody say see. Okay, that was five of you. Somebody say see. There we go. When the disciples see children, they see a distraction. They see their sticky hands. They see their potential spit up. They see them as disrupting the adult activity of faith and worship and theological teaching. And so they block them from coming any closer to Christ and upsetting their order of worship. But Jesus, Jesus sees children differently. He sees them as the very center of his kingdom. Jesus sees them as precious and valuable, and whatever was scheduled or expected will have to wait so that children can be gathered close to him and his hands laid on them. And so as a congregation of Jesus followers today, we too must see children the way that Jesus saw children. And it starts right here. What's next is that every third Sunday of the month, we will have Next Gen Sunday, where we will see children reading scripture. We will see children singing in worship. We will see children leading liturgy, lighting candles, making announcements, and praying prayers. We will see children in this holy space leading us in holy worship so that they will see themselves the way that Jesus sees them. And the reason why this is so important is that when we see children the way that Jesus sees them, we keep them from falling off the cliff. Now, the cliff is what children and youth ministry experts describe as the journey children take from birth until high school in their worship, their Christian formation classes, and their Sunday school that is separate from adults. Now, don't get me wrong. Children need dedicated spaces to connect with God, to rip and run, to make a mess, and to just be kids. But you see, when those children graduate from high school or college and then they step into the sanctuary with other adults and they look around and they see all of these people that are not within two years of their own age, they don't know how to connect 
to the body of Christ. All of those years of Sunday school and mission trips where they were just with other kids their age leads them to a cliff where they fall away from the church. And some of them might, I mean, might return to the church when they have children of their own and want them baptized. But most of them become priesters at best. You know the term, those who attend worship on Christmas and Easter. Priesters. Or they become totally disconnected from the church at worst. And so creating Next Gen Sunday each and every month creates a bridge over that cliff so that when they are older and they walk into this space, they know that it belongs to them. They know that Jesus belongs to them. And because we saw them as a congregation when they were children, they will see themselves as worshipers when they are adults. Somebody say, see Now, the second thing that we're going to do after we see is we are going to say. When the disciples attempt to push children away from Jesus, he uses his voice to advocate for what they need, to speak to them and to speak for them, emphasizing how important they are in the kingdom of God. And as followers of Jesus today, we are called to do the very same to speak for children and for youth and to center their needs in our decision-making. We need to say what they cannot say for themselves. We need to hear what they need us to hear. And so what's next for our church? Our administrative council, which is the leadership body of our church that includes pastors and other lay leaders, has voted to create a permanent position on our board for a family ministries liaison. We've elected Tracy Nepp, who grew up in this congregation, who has children in this congregation, who volunteers in the family ministries of this congregation. Are you seeing a theme here? We want her to represent the needs of children and families to our leadership. We don't want to guess the needs that children and families might have. We want to hear directly from them. And Tracy will be that voice as we make decisions about our budget, our programs, our mission, and our partnerships. Because like Jesus, we don't want children and youth to be on the sidelines clamoring in the crowd for attention, but for their needs to be spoken loud and clear from the center. We want someone sitting at the table at every single meeting when every single decision is made, when every single vision is cast, when every single program is discussed, so that children and youth may always, always be a part of the conversation. And we will do this because it's not enough just to see children in worship, but we must also say or speak on their behalf. But that's not all that we are called to do in this next season of ministry. There's something else that happens in this text that instructs us on what's next. You see, when Jesus is done rebuking the disciples for keeping children at arm's length, he then calls them close. He creates a space just so they would know 
that spiritually and physically they belong right there. And children and youth, they know when a space has been made for them. I knew when I used to go to my grandmother's house as a child. When you entered uh, the front door, there was a great room immediately to your left, and we knew that no kids were allowed in that space. And not because there was a neon sign or, or barbed wire, but simply because each and every flowered sofa was covered with a thin layer of plastic. Uh-huh, you remember those, don't you? They were torture. They would stick to the back of your legs and your arms, and when you would stand up, you'd hear that crunchy, peeling sound as the plastic moved away from your skin. Now, if any of you have plastic covers on your furniture, you are a child of God. Your pastor loves you. I am not judging you, but I do want you to know that you are a torturer of children because when they walk into that room, they know without a shadow of a doubt that this space was not for them. And thanks be to God, when we walk around our children and youth spaces here at our church, you will not find any couches coated in plastic, but you will find the vine. The vine that used to house over 100 youth, making our church have one of the largest youth groups in the entire denomination. But fast forwarding to today, that youth group has dwindled to less than a dozen. And the vine itself is in disrepair. We've heard from our youth and our children ministry of volunteers that that space needs renovation. And that ministry needs a passionate, skilled, and committed leader. And so what's next is that our administrative board has allocated $40,000 for the renovation of the vine and launched a national search for a full-time youth leader with an increased salary range, tell everyone that you know, who will bring the passion and the gifts and the skills to grow this vital ministry. Now, let me be clear, Steve, our finance chair, would want me to tell you this. All of that money is not in the bank yet. If it were, he and I would be breakdancing here on the chancel. (laughs) But we are stepping out on faith today, believing that you will step out and that you will step out And that you will step up through your faithful and your sacrificial giving for the needs of the next generation of disciples. Not because you are billionaires, but simply because Jesus did it for you. You see, at some point, everyone in here has stood in the crowd. We've felt other people life's challenges, or or even ourselves hindering us from connecting to Jesus. But then, then he saw you. Jesus saw you. Spoke your name in a voice that only you could hear. Saying that you were precious 
and you were valuable and you were loved. And even if others or even if you did not believe it, it was true. That same Jesus created space for you to discover your faith, to question your faith and to discover it again. Letting you know that you belonged to him. And the kingdom of heaven was yours. Jesus saw you then, spoke to you then, and created space for you then to experience the unconditional love and grace of God. And now, now it's your turn. It's our turn to see, to say, and to create that space for others. Because Jesus did it for us first. Now, we must do it for them.